You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. If you have a scripture Bible in front of you, turn to not the book of Judges today, but the book of 1 Peter. I had the 1 Peter this morning. This week, 1 Peter 1 is where you can head to. This week and next, we're taking a break from Judges. So, no more stabbing for a little bit, kids, and uh, ox codes and all that, but uh, something far worse, isn't there, right? As we see Christ crucified, the Son of God crucified, and then we celebrate. We celebrate on Sundays every Sunday because the day of His, to celebrate His resurrection, He is raised, although we celebrate specifically next Sunday, that Resurrection Sunday. But that's what we're focusing on heading up to to Easter then, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so to do that, we're kind of camping out or, or using 1 Peter 1, 3-5 as kind of a launching point here just to help us be thinking, meditating, just how significant the resurrection is. Um, to help you maybe this week, some, some years, years ago, we did a, like a devotional for the Easter week, the prepping up to the Sunday. This, you've got in your bulletin uh, uh, three verses, enough to cut. Maybe for if you need more, there's probably more bulletins in the back, but cut them up. Take this verse, put it in your car, put it wherever you'll see it, the office or wherever you're at, uh, tract or whatever you're doing this time of year, and put it in there and seek as a family or individually to memorize uh, this portion of Scripture together. We're going to be looking at it next week as well, a little more hopefully in-depth but it's there for you to look at. So, so let's just read it. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. And then we'll go from there. So listen to God's word this morning. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray again. Lord, I do pray that Your Word would go forth today, that You would speak according to Your Word that will not, You promised, it will not return void. I'm praying that those words of Scripture that we hear would be the words that are implanted in our hearts, that whatever the preacher has to say today, Lord, would You just guide it to be helpful towards an understanding of Your Word. That's the important thing. So guide us. Guide us to be students of Your Word, not just for this hour we have together, but through the week that we would be thinking on it old and new and that that Word would not lead us just to be Word people, but to be people of the capital W Word, people of You, Lord Jesus. So would You guide us by Your Spirit to think and to be challenged and to exalt You during this time together. In Your name, Amen. Well, I want to take this phrase in here that I read. It's in verse 3. And it's that phrase, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through. Here's where the phrase starts. Through 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I want to look today is a little bit more generally, just generally looking at the, the resurrection. This is nowhere near an exhaustive study of the resurrection. And as I even look at this, and uh, so we're, we're going to be jumping around a couple places today. I, I look at this, and I'm again convinced men smarter than I could uh, give a lot more. Much more could be said. But what I have to offer today is Scripture. I have the Word, so I have that. So uh, we're going to do a lot of going here and there today. So I hope your thumbs are ready. And uh, if you get tired, just, just you know, just write them down or whatever you need to do. But hopefully we'll, we'll go. If, you, if your neighbor needs help, just help your neighbor out. Um, you can help your kids look these up. I've got about seven scriptures where we're going today to think about the resurrection. There's more in here, more scriptures maybe to write down, or, and, and more besides that. How do we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Um, so, here's the questions. Three of them this week. One, did it happen? I'm not saying I need to convince you it did, but it's helpful. Did the resurrection happen? How do we, what, what scripture do we have for that? Number two is, is a little deeper. How did it happen? How was Jesus raised from the dead? How did that, how did that happen? And then three, attempting, looking, what does this mean? What does it mean in regards to Jesus, which we'll look at this week? And then next week, I want to, fo- so this week, focus more, what does this mean that Jesus was raised? What does this tell us about him? And then next week, what does that tell us then about, about us? So rather than just, well, how does this apply to me? I want to, kind of set up Christ here. Look at Christ today and see Him in all this. So, this week, more to us consider just studying the historical nature of the resurrection, the how, the what does it mean, gazing at Jesus Christ. And the next week, more for us. I realize we can't separate those. I mean, Christ rising, exalting Christ has a direct impact on us, but I'm I'm just giving them uh, this week and then next week to look at that. So, let's look at this resurrection, because often if Maybe you're like me. We we can kind of focus on the cross, and we've got it up here. We don't, I guess we don't have a tomb, you know, over here, empty tomb. But that is so integral, right? Paul in First Corinthians would say, "This is this is you don't have the tomb, you don't have anything, we don't have the cross, all this." And so, it's helpful even for my my own walk with the Lord to just take some time and think about the meaning. What does it mean about this resurrection of Jesus? So the first stop on our seven-stop tour takes us to 1 Corinthians 15. So let's head back there. 1 Corinthians 15. If you find Romans, you're really close. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at this real brief, not the whole chapter. It's much here, much here in the resurrection. If you needed a chapter in the resurrection, this is one of them. This is a big one here. And we're asking our first question, did it happen And so look at what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15. I'll read verses 1 through 4 to start us here. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day 
in accordance with the Scriptures. That interesting. Christ was raised from the dead in accordance with the Scriptures. This actually happened and the Scriptures foresaw it. Now, what are some of those Scriptures? Let me just give a few maybe of where this, this accordance of the Scriptures might come from. Psalm 16.10. It's a Psalm of David. We're going to look at it in a little bit another section here. Pointing to Christ, though, it says this, this familiar phrase, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or the, the study Bible calls it the abode of the wicked. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. There's some allusion there in the accordance of the Scriptures of Christ. Or Isaiah 53.10. Isaiah 53, often a chapter we think of the sufferings of Christ. It says this in prediction of His sufferings. It says in Isaiah 53, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. He has put Him to grief. When His soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see His offspring. He shall prolong His days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in His hands. Even in a passage on suffering, we see hints of the resurrection. One crushed, put to grief, and yet is also one who will see his offspring whose days will be prolonged. You might remember the story of Jonah and the, the whale or the big fish. And remember what happened when that fish took him. Remember how many days he was in that fish? Three days, three nights. And Jesus looks back at that. He says this in Matthew 12, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three, night, three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he goes on to say, something greater than Jonah is here. He died, he was raised in accordance with the Scriptures. Elsewhere, Luke 24, I'll just read this to you. It comes from 45, uh, 46. Disciples, they're gathered uh, in this passage. They're gathered together in the evening of the resurrection. Now it's the nighttime after Jesus was raised. Suddenly Jesus is among them and he says this, Luke 24. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, Jesus, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's like everything, right? Must be be fulfilled then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them thus it is written that the christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from jerusalem you are witnesses of these things and so all of scripture points not only to the suffering of christ but also to his resurrection so that's in accordance of Scriptures. I'm back to 1 Corinthians 15 now. Thinking of that, what are some Scriptures? And now as we look at verses 5 through 8 then. Historical, did the resurrection happen? Well, verse 5, He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, Paul writing this, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So you got Cephas, Peter, the twelve, the five hundred, 
brothers. At one time it reads, I'm not sure all about that, one time, but most of whom are still alive. I think as one writer looked at it, you, you could still ask them. The 500, they're still there. You can go up and ask them, is it true? Did you see Jesus? We did. There's 500 of them. And there's James and then Paul himself who saw him on that road to Damascus. So historically, Jesus appeared and was seen by many. Not, not hiding, making himself known, revealing himself to many. Again, other scriptures. Jesus himself predicted his death and his resurrection. When we went through Mark a couple of years ago, remember seeing that? Three times it's in the book of Mark. Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. Jesus predicts, yes, I will suffer and in three days the Son of Man will rise again. After three days, I will rise again. Jesus predicted it. He knew what was going to take place. He knew who He was. He was God in the flesh. One more place, John 2. We find Jesus in the temple. Jesus predicting this. He's in the temple. He's being questioned by the Jews after clearing out the temple. Clearing it out of trade and what they were doing. And, and, and they come and they say, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Like, who gives you the right to be doing this? And he says to them, remember Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, well, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But, text John helps us he was speaking about the temple of his body when therefore he was raised from the dead guess what his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken and I don't know there when it says they believe the scripture and the word that Jesus was spoken are they not the same thing in accordance with scriptures is this is the same as saying in accordance with Jesus words he predicted his own resurrection theologian Wayne Grudem says this after he's made the case he says the gospels testify to the resurrection the book of acts it's a story of the apostles proclamation of the resurrection we're going to look at acts in a little bit Uh, to the epistles all the letters through there they depend on a risen savior and the book of Revelation, which highlights the reign of Jesus. And so here's the summary that Gruden gives. He says, Thus, the entire New Testament bears witness to the resurrection of Christ. We are not in some little portion and going, I, I think I can see it in there. If I look with a magnifying glass, the resurrection is there. It's all through there. And I, I think... As we think about this, may the Lord give us eyes to see it all over the place. And Paul would say, without that, you have none of the rest of the New Testament. The resurrection is there. So, that's some facts. Did it happen? Yes. Now let's try, let's wade out into some deeper waters. The how and the why. More the why. What, what, was, what was going on? How is it Jesus was raised from the dead? For this, now we are 1 Corinthians 15, now three other scriptures. We got a lot of God's word today. You know, what does a preacher do when you're kind of, where do we go? Just God's word. So, so if you're writing, if you're flipping, keep, keep coming with us. Head to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, verse 19. 
We're going to really get to know our Bibles today. Ephesians 1, verse 19. Give you a chance to get there. We're asking, so how was Jesus raised from the dead? How did this happen? And I want to put to you here, Christ is raised from the dead by the great might of God the Father. Look at Ephesians 19. I know we're kind of starting mid mid-sentence, the inheritance in the saints. Uh, oh, if you go back to uh, verse 17, he want, um, Paul's remembering them in a prayer. Is that the, um, verse 17, let's just read from there. I want to get you mid-sentence here. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He worked in Christ, this is God the Father, when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand. God's power is on display. I think we saw an allusion to that in our First Peter passage. Jesus is raised from the dead by that power. And the same power, Paul says, is toward us who believe. We can't disconnect the two. What a truth of the power of God to raise Jesus and us. Ephesians 1, raise God the Father. How about John 10, though? Head back to John 10. Some other verses dealing with this. Getting an idea of how much the resurrection is and where it is. John ten seventeen. <clears throat> if you can find John ten seventeen, we'll look through two verses here. There's another aspect because Jesus Himself, being God of very God, He Himself rose from the grave. So John ten, Jesus, He's speaking about Him being the good Shepherd who lays down His life. For the sheep, here's what he says in verses 17 and 18. He says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So here, Jesus voluntarily submits, submits to the will of the Father that He lay down His life. But we must also acknowledge here that He who has the authority to lay it down has the authority to take it up. The charge is from the Father, but Jesus <clears throat> is victorious over the grave in Himself. Okay, so we've got the Father raising Jesus. We've got Jesus saying, I take up my life again. But wait, there's more. Head one more place. Romans 8. <clears throat> Romans 8, 11. 
We could go a couple places. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And here we find Paul. He's expounding on the life that the Spirit of God gives. And we find these words in, in, in verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. 1 Peter 3.18, where we're at, just chapter 3, says this of Christ, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So we see the Holy Spirit actively involved in the resurrection. And so a question, how did, Je- how did Jesus rise from the dead? Did the Father raise Jesus? This has been one of my questions. Did Jesus raise Jesus? Did the Spirit raise Jesus? If we are speaking of the Holy Trinity, the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, even though, how do we understand all that? Yes, they all did. Yes, He did. God did. Let me be. Jesus, Father, Spirit are one. One God. Three persons. And to wrap our minds around this is impossible. But let me give you, here's what Athanasius wrote, I think, in the 400s. So, he's been gone for a while. But he wrote it like this of the Trinity. He says, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. Like we're not mixing persons, but the substance of one God, that's there. He says, for there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one. One God, three persons. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, Such is the Son and such is the Holy Spirit. How do we meld these Scriptures together? It's a testimony. It's the testimony, I think amazingly, of the triune God. Even in these scattered portions, I know we're just picking here and there, a triune God even in the resurrection. So when you say, well, I read it Father here, I read it Jesus Spirit, think Trinity. This is God, same God at work in three persons okay in our remaining time then which is going to then bleed into next week let's begin to think about what the resurrection means what does it mean that jesus is no longer in the grave he is you go to israel he's not there what does that what does that mean what does that say about jesus so next week what does it mean for us this week what does it say about jesus Three scriptures. Acts 2. Head to Acts chapter 2. On our next stop. Thinking of the resurrection throughout the scriptures. Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses uh, 22 and following as you head there. Acts 2. A little background. Peter here. He's addressing the crowd. The Spirit has come upon the apostles, people, multitude of nations, they're hearing the mighty works of God. And wait, that sounds like French, you know, or English, or I mean, it's not back then, but you know, they're hearing it in their languages. 
You're hearing the mighty works. And, and Peter addresses them, and we're going to pick it up in a midway, verse 22 here, of Peter's address to Israel. Let me read through 23. <clears throat> he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was not some accident in history that this all happened. God had a plan. But if the story just ended here, it, it would end like any other maybe revolutionary uh, type of leader who had died. You know, maybe had done many things, but the end is still death. But verse 24 goes on. He was killed by the hands of lawless men. Then verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The pangs of death, you know what's pangs, seems to have an idea here of like suffering or pains, like birth pains. The NASB reads it, uh, putting an end to the agony of death. He loosed this, God loosed this agony of death, the pains of death. And why? So we're asking then, but why? Why did God raise him up? Why loose the pangs of death? And the text says it was not possible. Jesus could not be held by death. So he died a horrific death. He paid the penalty for all the sins of ours on the cross. He did, in fact, actually die and yet at the same time that death could not hold Jesus so we're asking why why could death not hold him and the answer kind of comes which is going to be alluded to comes from none other than scripture itself and that's what Peter here is going to allude to of Psalm 16 so what you have in your Bible if you have a little it looks like poetry there is coming from Psalm 16 so let me then read verse 25 through 28. For David, you know, love the little three-letter four. It's not possible for him to be held by death. Well, why? Might anticipate. Why? Verse 25. For, because David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Though David, and it says David says concerning him, though David may have... Originally written this psalm, where's the fulfillment found? Sunday school class should say, Jesus, right? We, we know this, right? Jesus. That's the fulfillment. And so Peter can say, David says in his own psalm, he says of Christ in Psalm 16. That's what he's referring to. 
Jesus would not be left in Hades or the grave. He wouldn't see corruption. And so one writer, David Peterson, says it this way, Jesus' resurrection Jesus' resurrection was His ultimate accreditation and vindication as God's servant and Messiah. He says it was impossible for the Son of David to be prevented by death from exercising His eternal kingly rule. The implication is that Jesus was resurrected because He already was the Messiah. Not that He became Messiah through resurrection. Because He was the Son of God. The Holy One. The Righteous One. So He is raised. Death cannot hold Him. Peter goes on to kind of put this point forward. Verse 29. And I'll read through 36 here. Brothers, so Peter goes back. Back to the sermon. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Basically, this is not David. This is not talking about David. He's here. He's, his tomb is you know, down that street and over, I, wherever it is. You know, He's here. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet, that's David though, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. David died and was buried. Christ Jesus is raised and exalted. Is at the Father's right hand. What does this mean? Jesus' resurrection means that Jesus is the eternal Messiah. That eternal Messiah cannot stay dead. The promise of one to forever reign on that throne of David over His people, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's Acts 2. I'm sure there's more there, more to be gleaned there. Then come with me to the book of Romans again. Now verse uh, chapter 1 in Romans. That's one Scripture. What does this mean about Romans? Romans 1. And, and I will grant some of these, I mean, they just dovetail. It's not like this is this and separately this, and they're kind of together. But Romans 1, 4 then, kind of related, let's look at that. Romans chapter 1, 1 through 4 here. Here's another place. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It, Is Scripture being fulfilled all over the place? 
Okay, I'll start over. Which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son. Now, who's the Son? Verse 3, concerning His Son who was descended from David according to the flesh was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. In His flesh, Jesus is described, yes, He, has, he descends from David, that line, but is He David's Son only? He's not. He is in His resurrection. He's so much more. He's the Son of God in power. Leon Morris comments here. He says, Here the note of power receives stress. Like emphasis. The resurrection introduces us to that which overcomes death. A power alongside of which the mightiest of human forces, that is death, is seen for the puny thing it is. Morris is calling the human force of death a puny thing. The mightiest human force, if you think of it, it's not, it's not Russia or America as a superpower. That's not the mightiest human force. It's not, even, it's not China. It's death. Death is mighty and it's pervasive. It's in every land. It's all over the place. But God's might and power is, what He's pointing to, is more. We go, yeah, He rose from the grave. There's death. We thought that was controlling everything. It's not. There is a greater power. Jesus rising from the dead. He defeated death itself. And because of the righteousness of Christ, the eternal Son of God, death has no dominion over, it does not rule over Him. Later on, Romans 6 9, we'll find, Paul says there, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, it's just everywhere, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. The righteous one was raised to life. God's holy one, to use Psalm 16, would not see corruption. He lives forever. One more place. Jesus Himself. John chapter 11. It's our last stop. John 11. What does it mean? He's forever Messiah. He's got powers, dominion over death. John eleven twenty four. if you want to head there. We find Jesus. Here's a conversation with Martha about the resurrection. Her brother Lazarus, he was in the tomb four days already. He's died. Let's pick it up. Let's go to verse 23 and I'll read through 27 here. Jesus said to her, your, your brother, Lazarus, will rise again. Martha said to him, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. 
Do you believe this, Martha? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. We looked at that. Christ, Messiah, anointed, Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha knew of a resurrection on the last day. And I'm, I'll just be honest, I'm not understanding all of what that maybe was going on in her mind. But here, standing in front of Martha, was the resurrection. The life was right in front of her. And so she too declares, Jesus, you're Messiah. You're the Son of God. We look like Romans. Come in power. The one Psalm chapter 2 refers to as God's Son. God had set this Son as a King. Right on the holy hill. He would come on a donkey as we read about. I so much appreciate Milt reading that story. He came on this donkey, humble, into Jerusalem. The king would humble himself. That king would humble himself to great suffering. And yet the king also would on that Easter Sunday morning rise from the dead. Well, next week we're going to head back. Maybe we'll stay closer to 1 Peter. We'll see. Head back to 1 Peter 1 and explore just now. That's who Jesus is. What does this look like then for for us. Just in conclusion, just want to say a couple things. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead never to die again. Scripture attests to His resurrection. We see it in accordance with the Scriptures. The triune God is active in His resurrection. And that Jesus was raised from the dead, it declares His eternal kingship as Son of God, the forever anointed One. And so that Psalm 2, it ends this way. It says, kiss the Son. Honor, kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. See, the one riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, he's also the one that Paul says, we didn't look at Acts 17, he says he's the same one who will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The Son lives and He reigns as King and Lord and He will judge. But Psalm 2 also says, Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. May this week, as we prepare for next weekend, be a week to exalt in this risen Lord who reigns now. That the eternal Son of God, He's worthy of our praise. We sang, worthy is the Lamb. He's worthy of it. He's majestic. He's holy and righteous. And then to take refuge in the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. May we be led to Christ Himself through this week. Let me pray for us. Lord, we just thank You for Your Word. How many commentaries have been written and books about it and they they would fill how many buildings full and yet your Scripture here and there and back to the New Old Testament testifies to you 
Scripture accords with Scripture. Your Word is good and right. It is without error. Lord, may we be a people who bank on Your Word and who, who bank on the Messiah that we see in Your Word. May we not stray that all these Scriptures, the books of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, the New Testament are pointing to You, to You, Lord Jesus Christ. May we worship You who is the resurrection. We have no life. We have no resurrection hope outside of who You are. And so may You work that exaltation and praise in us throughout our week. We think of how do we apply this. Lord, may it just may we worship who You are and see more of who You are in Your Word. We ask this in Your name. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.